Welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so excited that you join us today. And wherever you're listening from or whenever you're listening to this, we hope that you are encouraged. And if you ever want to join us in person, you can always join us at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. But we love you and we hope that you're encouraged today. I'm going to tell you the story real quick. I, uh, a couple years ago, went down to Charleston, South Carolina. Y'all ever been to Charleston before? It is beautiful down there. If you've never been, you need to go. Uh, so I went down to Charleston. I was going to a pastor's retreat, and I drove my car. This car sitting out here in the parking lot, actually, right now, a gold Honda Accord, baby. How many, A Honda, it will never die. I love that car so much. And so we, I drove that thing down to Charleston, and I was thinking, I was going to a pastor's retreat, somewhere where I could just rest and relax with other pastors and and uh, I went down there and I was like, I need to decompress. So I'm just going to drive. So I spent the whole day driving. I get down to Charleston. I'm by myself, which to me is a nightmare. I hate being by myself. I wish I had someone with me. And uh, I go eat by myself somewhere in a place called Fleet Landing. It's a popular place in Charleston. I get back in my car and I'm going to start driving to this retreat. And I'm in downtown Charleston, which, and if you've never been there, the roads in downtown Charleston are about as wide as your chair. All right. They're tiny and there's cars everywhere. It's all super old. And we get to a stoplight and all of a sudden my car, I can't steer it. The air shuts off and I realize my car has died. I mean, it's in drive. I'm in the middle of downtown. My car died. And all of a sudden, every person in Charleston is behind me and they are real mad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not moving. I don't know anything about cars. I pop the, how many guys in here pop the hood and you just look at the engine like, I wouldn't know what I'm looking at anyway, right? Like, I'm just looking at the engine thinking, all right, it's broke. You know, it still isn't turning on. I guess popping the hood didn't work. And so I end up, uh, I shut the thing, and, and these two guys got so mad that they actually helped me. They pushed me into a parking lot of a bank. I, I call the retreat. I'm like, hey, I'm, someone's got to come pick me up. My car at the shop, it's got to get a tow truck. And I, I call the tow truck, and the tow truck's like, I'll be there in three hours. How come tow trucks are always three hours away? Can someone tell me this? Like, I feel like they're always three hours away. I get the tow truck. Uh, we go over to the, the place of the, where do they fix cars? The mechanic's office or shop, whatever they're called. The office. <laughs> there ain't no office in that place. We get to the mechanic. I leave. I go on the retreat. I have the absolute best time in the world on the retreat. And I get a phone call while I'm at the retreat from the mechanic saying, hey, good news. It was just a dead battery. Like, you're fine. And uh, it's not going to happen again. We, we checked your alternator. Uh, it's just the battery. I said, that sounds great. So, and the, the people at the retreat paid for it. It was awesome. I was like, man, this is what, this is what it's all about right here. I love it. So they dropped me off at the mechanic. I pick up my car. It starts right up and I start heading back home. And I, I don't even know what interstate I'm on. It's 20 something. What is it? 26. That's exactly what it was. And so I'm going through and I pass a town called Spartanburg. And now I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I got, there's not an exit for miles. There's, I mean, I barely have cell phone service and I get in standstill traffic again. All of a sudden, my car stops in standstill traffic and my car shuts down again, does the same exact thing. Being a pastor, 
I'm livid, all right? So I'm just like you. I'm mad. I'm, I am saying bad words about this mechanic's place in my brain, and I call them. I'm like, hey, guys, y'all remember me? I just left this place a few hours ago, and my car is dead on the side of the road. Y'all gonna have to come up here and fix this thing, like, now. Problem is, it was like 4.30, sun is setting at this point, and nowhere's open. And so they're like, we'll call you a tow truck. I promise you, they'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. And so I'm like, okay, how long is the tow truck gonna be? They were like, Three hours, exactly. It was three hours. I'm like, well, I'm not staying here for three hours. It was hotter than the devil's butt crack outside. And it was, I was sweating. There's ticks everywhere. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk to the next exit. However long that is, I'm just going to walk. So I take my bag. I stuff some clothes in it. I leave everything out to the car. And I just start going, okay, I guess I'm just going to walk. And before I did that, I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to hitchhike and see if someone will just pick me up, right? Like what are the, what are, the day can't get much worse, right? And so I end up taking my journal out and uh, I wrote in big letters in my journal and I wrote this, I actually have a picture of it right here. It says, vaxxed and nice, just need to get to the next exit. <laughs> So I turned, I've been outside for about an hour. Traffic is still really slow, okay? Like there's, and I'm making eye contact with every car. I'm like, and I'm thinking someone's got to at least stop saying you need help. But I realized I look like a crazy person. I, I had taken my shirt off. I left, I didn't leave it off, all right? So no, I, I put on a sun shirt. I'm wearing a straw hat that's huge. I have a button up over it. And I'm just like, I just want, I don't want to get sunburned. Really, this is what I was doing. So I'm looking at all these cars. I'm like, someone's got to pick me up. The second, I'm not joking, the second I turn this sign around, the first car that sees it pulls over. And I was like, heck yeah, baby. This is what I'm talking about. He goes, and the guy, he had a nice Dodge. It was super nice. And I'm like, this doesn't in my brain fit the profile of a serial killer. And so I was like, hey, he said, do you need some help? I said, I just need to ride to the next exit. I know there's a gas station there. Just drop me off. I'll get an Uber. And Ubers don't work on the interstate, by the way. I figured that out. Uh, but I was like, I'll get an Uber and I'll be good. And so he was like, okay. So I hop in his car and we drive a few miles down the road and there's a Circle K right off the exit. So we go up, I'm, I'm talking, his name was Joe. Joe ended up being, he's a bivocational pastor. He was actually on his way home from preaching his grandmother's funeral and he was supposed to get off the exit before and for some reason he didn't and drove right by me and he said, when I saw you, I just knew I had to pick you up. I said, Joe, that was the Holy Spirit, brother. Thank you. And so we're talking, my first thought was, Stephanie and I, we both listen to true crime podcasts a lot. So I thought, I need to call Stephanie so that my phone is pinging off a cell phone tower so that they can triangulate the signal if I end up in this guy's deep freezer. And so I FaceTime Stephanie and I FaceTime her. I said, hey, Steph, someone picked me up. Uh, his name is Joe, but don't worry, he's a pastor. And Stephanie goes, pastor, she said this out loud on FaceTime. She, he could hear, she said, pastors can be serial killers too, Clint. I said, I don't think Joe's a serial killer. And so we get to the, and so I hang up and we get to the gas station and I'm driving and we're driving and all of a sudden Joe doesn't stop at the gas station. Joe keeps driving. And now I'm, I'm going, Joe, where are we going? That's what I said, where are we headed, Joe? And Joe said, you know what? This isn't a safe part of town. I'm just going to take you to my house. And I was like, Joe, 
where do you live? Yeah, that's where the deep freezer is. I said, Joe, where do you live? He said, I just live right around the corner up here. I said, okay. And so, and then he goes, also, my wife is in the car behind me. She has no idea what I'm doing. And she, she just saw this random dude get picked up on the side of the road. And he's like, I'm just going to take you to my house. It's a little safer there. I said, okay. So I get to Joe's house and Joe's wife pulls up behind us. And all of a sudden, she's real freaked out by me, obviously. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to kill you. I I just need, I'm trying to get an Uber. And so they've invited me in. They gave me water. It was, I need, oh my gosh, I've never been that thirsty in my life. And all this time, Stephanie's doing some recon work, trying to find another pastor that lives in Spartanburg. That's where I was near. And so she calls me back. Uber, I was in the middle of nowhere. Uber didn't work again. And all of a sudden she calls me back and she's like, hey, I found a pastor. His name's Keith. Give him a call. And so now I'm thinking, my fate lies in the hands of a pastor picking up his phone. Pastors never pick up their phone when you try to call them, right? And so I'm like, okay. I call Keith. Keith answers immediately. Keith's another pastor in town. And I said, hey, man, this is the weirdest phone call you're going to have all day. But literally, I was hitchhiking on the side of the road. I got picked up by this random dude. I'm at his house. I need you to come pick me up right now. Keith's never heard of me in his life. Keith doesn't know me. Keith says, I'm in the car with my family right now. I'm going to pick you up right now. So Keith comes to Joe's house. He picks me up. I get in the car. I'm with Keith now. And all of a sudden, Keith and I are driving out. And I've left Joe behind. I said, thank you so much. Dude, you've been the best good Samaritan to me of all time. And I said, Keith... take me to a hotel, man. I don't even know where I'm going. I just need a a place to sleep tonight. And so I haven't even learned Keith's wife's name, who's in the back seat with her kids. I hadn't been in the car for 35 seconds. All of a sudden, we're going down a two-lane road, and a guy riding an electric scooter is coming this way, and he turns into a neighborhood, gets hit by a car, flips over the car, lands in front of our car, and I look at Keith and go, dude, what just happened? And so Keith, he was a police officer. He goes into first responder mode. I am a pastor. I don't, I didn't, I'm not a policeman. I'm not an EMT guy. I could tell that this dude was not doing very well. And so I take my big sun hat off and I cover the windshield because Keith's kids are in the car. And Keith looks at me and says, call 911. I call, by the way, this guy made it. He's fine. Okay. But he, all of a sudden I called 911 and the first person, the, the, the first question the person asked me on the phone was, where are you? And I'm like, I have no idea. And I'm sitting there, I look at Keith's wife. And I'm like, what's your, I don't even know your name. Take my phone. And all of a sudden, the kid that hit him in his car was next to me in the window, outside my window right here. And he was losing his mind. He was crying. So I get out of the car. I hug this guy. I'm like, hey, man, two things. You're going to be okay. I'm here. He didn't know who I was, but I'm like, hey, we're going to get through this and don't admit anything to anybody, right? Because I watch a lot of True Kind podcasts. Like, don't say you're sorry. Don't say anything. And so I sit him behind a retaining wall. This guy all of a sudden tries to get up and we're like, hey, dude, you need to stay down. Police come, they interview us. We get back after all this is over. I get back and I have, I hitchhiked 45 minutes ago. I was on the side of the road with a sign that said, you know, vax and nice. And all of a sudden now I'll get back in the car with Keith and I look at him and I said, I think we just became best friends. Like you don't get to experience this with somebody and not be best friends. And so Keith took me to a hotel. He paid for me to stay in the hotel that night. He ended up gifting our church the TV, by the way, that we use in our kids ministry over there. I don't think I could have lasted that day without Keith being a good Samaritan to me. How many of y'all have ever had a good Samaritan moment in your life where you just needed somebody to help you and they stepped up and they helped you? Your moms do it for you all the time, right? They're like the best good Samaritans. Or 
word may be for you, like, man, you forgot your wallet. You're at the store and the person behind you just decided, you know what, I'm gonna pay for it. Here's what I know. All of us need good Samaritans at some point in our lives. We need people to show up in our lives when we need it the most and we need them to come through. Well, today I wanna look at a story. Well, actually, before we look at the story, how many guys in here grew up in the South? Come on, you can be proud. How many of y'all grew up in the South? You guys are the worst for admitting this, okay? I just wanna tell you right now, I'm with you. Guys from the South have a hard time admitting that we need help, right? We could cut your leg off with a chainsaw right now. We'd be like, hey man, need a hand? No, I'm good, I'm good, I'll be fine, right? Like, that's just how guys are. But if you were honest, you need help sometimes. We all need help. Well, today I want to talk to you about a story about a guy who needed help. He needed somebody to come through in his life. He needed some help. But this story starts with an interesting exchange between a lawyer and Jesus. So if you have your Bible today, turn to Luke chapter 10, or turn your Bible on if you got your phone or whatever, that's fine. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. And it says this, it'll be on the screen. It says, one day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the thing, you can leave that scripture up there. Here's the thing you gotta know. This guy was a lawyer. He was an expert in what we would call the Old Testament law. And there were hundreds of laws. This guy knew all the laws, he kept all the laws, and he made, every, he made sure everyone else was keeping the laws. And so it says that he was testing Jesus, but he wasn't testing him in a negative way. Like the word that that's used for right there was he was just being a lawyer. He was just like, hey, let me ask you this question. I'm curious. I want you to define something for me. How does someone inherit eternal life? So he, he pipes up and he asks this, and Jesus looks at him and he says this. Next verse. Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses have to say? Uh, how do you read it? So Jesus is basically saying, hey, you're the expert here, so why don't you tell me what the law says about how to have eternal life? The man answered him. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus gives them this opportunity. Jesus says, hey, smart guy, like you know what you're doing. Why don't you tell me? And he answers it and he hits a home run. He gives the perfect Sunday school answer. He basically says, Jesus and read your Bible, right? Like that's just what, that's like the perfect Sunday school answer. He gives a perfect Sunday school answer. And it boiled down to these two things. Every law in the whole New Testament boiled down to those things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can sum them all up right there. And Jesus replies and says, right, Jesus told him. Do this and you'll live. Jesus saying, exactly, Like, hey, if you can do these things, you're in, man. Like, I don't know what else I can tell you. You can be a part of my kingdom. But then this guy asks a final question. He doubles down on the lawyer thing, and he asks a clarifying question. And he says this, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Jesus, why don't you just define what neighbor means so that I can feel better about how I'm treating other people? And so if you ever read the Bible, you know that Jesus never gives straight answers. He, he talks in mysteries a lot. He asks people a lot of questions. He says things that doesn't make sense to us a lot of times. And so Jesus does what Jesus does. And instead of just answering the question, he says, let me tell you a story. And so he tells this story right here. It says this, Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man, y'all say Jewish, was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. 
and he was attacked by bandits. Y'all say bandits. Come on, y'all got to say it meaner, bandits. There we go. There we go. Holly's got it. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. The nerve. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. Y'all say Samaritan. Yeah, they're like the Slytherins. You know what I mean? Like in Harry Potter. The despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Y'all say compassion. Come on. Here's one thing you got to know. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Imagine how Nancy Pelosi feels about Donald Trump or how Donald Trump feels about Nancy Pelosi. They don't go together. You know what I'm saying? Like they just don't like each other. They have some fundamental differences and they hate each other. This is how the Jewish people, y'all just got a little nervous that I said these names up in church. Now, listen, that's all I'm saying. All right, so they, they, had, they had some beef. The Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. They despised each other. The Jews, how many Harry Potter fans we got in the house? Come on, don't be ashamed. The Jews were like purebloods. They were like, they were, they were true. They knew God. They knew all the laws. The Samaritans were like muggles. Or not muggles, they were like mudbloods. Like they were like halves. They were half Jew, but then they were half whatever they decided to marry. And Jews thought this was very unclean. They didn't like it very much. And the, and the Samaritans actually had like a hybrid version of religion. They believed certain things about Judaism, but they believed a lot of pagan things. And so Jews would look at them with their noses in the air and be like, I can't stand these people. These people are the worst. They don't look like us. They don't act like us, but they're associated with us and they could not stand them. And so Jesus is telling this to a bunch of Jews and not only a bunch of Jews, but specifically to a lawyer. And so by this point, the lawyer's like, surely the priest is going to go help. Like surely the temple assistant's gonna help. And then Jesus says, no, a Samaritan came by and found compassion on him. You would have heard that and thought, what? The Samaritans don't even have the capability of being compassionate. What are you talking about? And so Jesus is sitting there going, he's, he's kind of flipping the script and everyone is sitting there going, I cannot believe that Jesus is saying this right now. And so here's what the Samaritan does. Going over, over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say is a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, listen to this, he despises Samaritans so much that he can't even admit that the Samaritan helped him. He had to say this, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say his name. He couldn't even, he's like, I can't say Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy, that's what he says. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Remember what I said at the beginning. This is a story about a guy who needed some help, a story about a person who needed somebody else to intervene. And I want you to understand something today. This story is your story. 
This story is your story. No matter who you are, you are in this story. You need to understand that today. And it's important that we see ourselves in this story. Now, let me tell you this. As much as we want to be the Samaritan in this story, as much as we want to be the hero in this story, as much as we want to be the person that did the right thing in this story, we're not that person. In fact, we're not even close to being the Samaritan in this story. We, the person that we relate to in this story, is the person that was attacked by bandits and left for dead on the side of the road. That's something that we have to understand today. I don't care how much you serve, how much you give, how well you sing, what you do for this church, how nice of a person you are, if you're a good old boy, if you do all the right things, if you don't drink or chew or roll with girls who do, right? I don't care what you look like on the outside. You are not the good Samaritan in this story. You are not good enough to enter into God's kingdom. You are the person that was beat and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You need to, or you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. All of us were. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The Bible also says this in Romans chapter three, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. We've all turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Here's what it says in Romans three, for everyone has sinned and we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. Nobody in here is good enough to make it into God's kingdom. The Bible would just teach us that we're like the man who was left on the side of the road. So if we're the man that was left on the side of the road, that means bandits in the story, it represents sin. That's what sin does to you. The Bible teaches us that we all sin. We all make mistakes. There's not one perfect person in this room. There's not one perfect person on planet earth right now. We all mess up. The Bible teaches us that when we mess up, we miss the mark. Like we can't be good enough to get to heaven. But the problem is, is that we think that we can. We think that we can earn our way there sometimes. And I want you to just put yourself in the position of the guy that was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. You're laying there, you're bloody, you're you're struggling to breathe. You're just hoping that somebody would come up and do something because you can't help yourself right now. And all of a sudden you can just, you barely open your eyes and you can see someone coming in the distance. And the closer this person gets, you realize it's a priest. Like surely to God, this person's gonna help me. And so all of a sudden you start putting your hope in this priest. Well, the priest in this story represents something that's very strong in our culture today and that's religion. You see, a lot of us, we grow up in the Bible Belt or we grow up in a religious background and we think that if we put our hope in religion, if we put our hope in doing the right things, saying the right things, looking a certain way, giving a certain amount, we do these things, then we'll be religious enough to earn our way to heaven. But we can't put our hope in religion. This guy learned he can't put his hope in the priest. He can't put his hope in religion because religion doesn't save you. Religion doesn't make you enter into God's kingdom. Religion is just good things that you happen to do that anyone can do. 
But when we put our hope in religion, we start, to re- we start to realize that that's never going to fulfill us. And maybe that's a mistake that you've made in your life is you've devoted your life not to a relationship with Jesus, but to religion and keeping the rules and making sure that, man, if I do this, God's gonna love me more. If I don't do this, he's gonna love me less. Let me tell you right now, God loves you the most that you could ever be loved and it never changes. He can't love you anymore. He can't love you any less. And so we can't put our faith in religion. This guy saw the priest coming down. What did the priest do? He left him for dead. Religion will leave you for dead. It's not going to help you. Not every bad, not everything involved in religion is bad, but it's not going to save you. And so that guy passes by. Now you're laying on the side of the road, you're bloody again, and you open your eyes and all of a sudden you see a temple assistant. He's walking your way. He's coming. And you're like, all right, the priest was a dud. Maybe he didn't see me. I would help you, by the way. I just want to let y'all know that right now. I'd come help you. But he opens his eyes and he sees the temple assistant coming. And he's like, man, please, this guy needs to stop. And the temple assistant comes close and looks at him and then decides to walk off. You see, temple assistants back then, uh, they were like a step below the priest. The priest, they're responsible for all the religious stuff. They, they, they would preach in front of the church. They would, they would carry on the laws and the rules and all this kind of stuff. The temple assistants were people that actually prepared the temple for worship. And so the temple assistants were people that would come in like at the senior center on Sunday mornings and they would put up the pipe and drape. They would hang the lights. They would plug in the sound system. They would get the stuff ready out there. They were the people that served in the church. That's what they did. They got the church ready to have a service. That's what the temple assistants did. In this story, that represents works. A lot of us think if I can just be a good enough person, if I could do more good things than bad things, I can make it into heaven. And we put our hope in that. Just like this guy, he's probably putting his hope in this temple assistant walking toward him. And that temple assistant is representing something that will never save him. And I want to tell you guys right now that works don't get you to heaven. They never have, they never will. I don't know how you grew up. Maybe that's something that you heard that, man, if I'm just a good person, when I die one day, I can go to heaven because I've done more. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't do anything crazy bad. Well, the Bible would teach us something completely different. It says this, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So the Bible teaches us that you can be as good as you want to be. But salvation is not earned by the good things that we've done. Now, you might do some great things. You might think if I could just give enough, if I could just help enough, if I could serve enough, if I could just be a good person, if I could just do these good things, I'll be good. The Bible teaches us that, no, 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 good works do not get you to heaven. The temple assistant won't get you, won't save you. The, the good works won't get you to heaven. Good works are good, but they can't give you what you need. And when you're beaten up on the side of the road and you're left for dead and sin has taken everything from you, you don't need a a priest. You don't need a temple assistant. You need someone to come through and pay your way to help get you from, from where you are to where you need to be. And that's why in this story that Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one that came down. He saw our need. He saw us laying for dead on the side of the road. And he decided like, I'm not gonna leave them there. I have compassion. I'm gonna come do what it takes. I'm gonna pay the price so that these people can know me, so that these people can have a relationship with me. He did everything that the Good Samaritan does in this story. The Bible says this in Psalm 40. It says, he lifted me up out of the pit of despair. 
out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. You were stuck, you couldn't help yourself and Jesus came along and he alone picked you up and he took care of you just like the Samaritan did in this story. It cost Jesus his life to save you and he gladly did it. Even while you were rebelling against him, even while you were doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, even while life left you for dead, the Bible says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were still doing these things, Jesus came and died for us. And not only did he pay the price, he died for us so that we could have a relationship with him. The Bible, he also gave us everything that we need, just like the Good Samaritan. He paid the innkeeper. He said, I will pay for everything. When I come back, I'll pay you back if it goes more than this. The Bible says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So not only do we get salvation through Jesus, but Jesus also gives us everything that we need to live a godly life. That means if you came in here today struggling, if you came in here today needing God to work in your life, if you came in today wanting to be a better person, wanting to quit that bad habit, wanting to restore your marriage, wanting to be a better dad, wanting to be a better person, the Bible says that God has given you everything that you need to live that godly life. He's given you everything that you need. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible would teach us that when we accept Jesus into our life, he comes into our life and he gives us everything that we could need to serve him and to serve others better. And here's the best part. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Well, Clint, that sounds way too good to be true. It is. It's like the only thing in the universe that's too good to be true. It is, man, it's crazy. It's the best trade-off that you could ever make. Give God your life and he's gonna give you eternal life. Like give God your mess and he's gonna give you eternal life. That makes no sense. Well, guess what? God is in the business of doing stuff that doesn't make sense. It blows my mind. And some of you today, you might be thinking, well, that sounds good, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. You don't know how I've failed as a parent. You don't know how I've, I've I treated uh, my spouse this way. You don't know what I did when I was a teenager. Like you have no idea. And if I, I, I just need to clean up a little bit before I come to Jesus. No, 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 don't do that. How crazy would it be for the Samaritan to go up to that guy in the ditch and say, hey man, if you could just wipe that blood off a little bit and uh, pick yourself up, I'll take care of you. No, Jesus doesn't do that with you. He looks at you and he sees, he already knows all the problems that you're facing. And he says, bring them to me. I want them. Like, let me carry that. Let me pick you up because I can actually help you. Jesus is the only thing that can actually help you. He's the only thing that can actually fill that hole in your heart. Listen, some of you have tried relationships. You may have tried uh, substances, alcohol. You, you've tried money. You've tried chasing up, the, the, going up the corporate ladder. You've tried all of these things and they're not working. Why? Because God is the only thing meant to fill that hole in your heart. You're doing this stuff to try to feel complete. You're never gonna feel complete if you try to do that. Let Jesus complete you. Let him do the thing that only he can do. You need the good Samaritan to intervene into your life. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your circumstances are gonna poof, magically go away when you give your life to Jesus. But your hope can change right now. 
You can start walking in the right direction right now. And you don't need to do anything for it. You just have to receive it. You just have to receive it. So here's what I want us to do. And then I promise we're gonna party, we're gonna tailgate. Can y'all smell the hot dogs yet? Come on, I I can't smell. I don't have COVID, but I can't smell, okay? So I'm bummed. But listen, just hang with me for a few more minutes. Because I promise you, this is the most important thing that's gonna happen today, including Derrick Henry rushing for 200 yards. This is the most important thing that's gonna happen today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. And I want you to know, I'm not gonna embarrass anybody I'm not gonna call you down front and make you talk in front of the whole church or anything like that. I'm not doing any of that. But I believe that God is stirring in the hearts of some people right now. There are people in this room that have been trying religion. You've been looking at the priest to help you and you've learned that doesn't work. Some of you, man, you've been looking at that temple assistant going, man, if I could just do enough stuff, if I could just earn my way there, man, I'd be, I'm good. I've, I've, no, you're not. And I think as I've been talking, some people in here might be realizing that the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus, through the Good Samaritan. And I wanna give you an opportunity to make that decision today. And again, I'm not gonna embarrass you. We're here for you. But if you wanna make that decision to invite Jesus into your life today, I wanna give you the opportunity. So on the count of three, what I want, no one's looking around. I'm the only one looking around, I promise. I want you just on the count of three, just slip your hand up, put it down, all right? And just let me know, hey, I wanna make that decision today, okay? Here we go, one, two, three. If that's you, lift it up, put it down. Great, you can put your hands down. And if that's you, I just want you to say this prayer in your heart. This prayer isn't magical. This prayer isn't the thing that saves you, but it's a way to articulate what's kind of going on in your life right now to tell God that you're ready to make this decision. Say, dear God, I need you. I invite you into my life. I make you the Lord of my life. And in the best way I know how, I will live for you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, give God a hand for the people that made that decision. That's what it's about today.